630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Well, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We'll have another show tomorrow. Kelly Rudy will join us. And then Friday, 6.30, Ched will start its coverage of the conference finals. We'll have game one between Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh. The Western Conference Final, we don't know who's going to be in it. It's looking like St. Louis is uh, going to win tonight in Dallas. A lot of hockey left, but it is 3-0 for the Blues after the first period. Nashville and San Jose, game seven tomorrow. Reed Wilkins with you at Inside Sports. We, we got a new segment. It, it's so good. It, it even has its own intro. It's Brunch with the Bloggers on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. It is brunch. We have tea. We have scones. I found them all in Brian Hall's office. <laughs> in studio. Oh, wait. Okay, that's good. A couple guys from the Oilers blogosphere. First of all, Matt Henderson. You get him on uh, Oilers Nation, Hockey Buzz. uh, Where else? Uh, No, Oilers Nation, Hockey Buzz, and Twitter, I guess. A lot on Twitter. Now, how do you correctly say, because whenever I try to say your Twitter handle, I I make it like 17 syllables. Okay. Uh, In my head, it sounds like archaeologi. Archaeologi. Yeah. Well, I can say that. Yeah. I'm always like archaeological guy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, a lot of people just shorten it to Arch. So uh, for a long time in, in all the message boards, people would just, just Arch, Arch. What does Arch think? Well, no one cares what Arch thinks. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> all right. Also uh, in studio from becauseoilers.blogspot.com, I can say his Twitter handle, at woodguy55, Darcy McLeod. Darcy, thanks for coming in. Anytime, Reed. I appreciate the invite. Yeah. All right. Now, before we get into the, the meat of some Oilers stuff, and by the way, you can always text 630-630. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. How did you, because the interesting thing for me since I started working on Stoffer's show and then started with this show is, uh, I mean, I, I I don't care. I have a bias. You you are two of the guys I enjoy reading more. I, I think I'm I allowed to have that. favorites. I don't Thank treat you. everybody quickly. Uh, you're you're insightful. Sometimes you're emotional, but you're pr- you're pretty respectful. How did Matt? How did this start for you to to become like an established sort of blog personality? I guess it started just on on comment sections, and eventually, uh, you know, I would just comment on lots of places like Oilers Nation, uh, places like that where they they have a big sort of thriving community, or sometimes thriving, sometimes toxic. But you know, uh, uh, there's a big community, and you get on there, and you you get let your voice be you know be heard there, and then eventually. It had, you know, it was the last lockout. There was nothing going on. I was really bored, and nobody was saying the things that that I was thinking. So I figured, what the heck? I'll just start my own blog. So I started a blog, and nobody read it. And <laughs> but I just kept at it, and so I kept at it for for a year. You know, nobody read it. I mean, I I can honestly say that if if I hit 200 page views in a day. Uh, I was like, "Ooh, hey, look how good I'm doing today!" Uh, and you compare that to what Oilers Nation gets in a minute, and uh, it's it's nowhere close, right? Uh, but you know, you start off there, and you just sort of find your voice, find sort of what 
what you like to say, how you like to say it, and and you sort of look back at your material and think, oh god, that was terrible. Uh, but eventually, you find something, and then and then Hockey Buzz had an opening for an Oilers writer. Uh, uh, one of their previous writers had left. He was going to make his own website. Uh, friends from mine were like, hey, you should go join his website and write for him. And I thought, no. That's garbage. I'm going to go take his old job. That's what I want because that's <laughs> going to probably pay better <laughs> and have more readers in it. So I applied to that, and, and that's sort of how I got onto Hockey Buzz. And, and uh, a, few, uh, a few years later, Oilers Nation asked me to, to write for them as well. So that's sort of how it happens. You just put lots of work in when no one's reading, and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, eventually you sort of find your way through it. What about what about uh, you, Darcy? What launched you into this to becoming a, a, a regular? Well, I was just a frustrated Oilers fan like most guys, right? And right. It, was, it was about 2007 when I discovered Low Tide. And uh, back then, it was kind of the, it was not the cradle, but it was one of the cradles of the fancy stats movement. There's guys like Tyler Dello, Dennis King, Vic Ferrari even dropped in once in a while. And through that, I found you know, Vic's site and Tor Purdy's site. Um, and just, I have a math, not I don't have a math background, I have a, a, a BCom, but stats was something I, I took in university. And so I just, it was kind of, not second nature, but you understood it. It was, it was easy to, to kind of sort through a lot of the stuff. And I just thought it had, it had great application because I, I just, um, I'd started a business in 2000. But like I was mentioning to you earlier, I played a lot of poker. And the basis of the poker was a, a lot of math and a lot of uh, probabilities. You know, uh, if you win 55% of your hands from here to eternity, you're going to retire a billionaire. Right. So, like, 5% is <laughs> a huge edge. So um, so I just come out of a, a lot of that kind of stuff and then found that at low tide and, and lurked there for, for a long time and started making comments. And eventually, my you know, I wanted to write something long enough that I low tide let me uh, post a few times on his site. And then it just became so long that I thought, ah, I'll just put put a little blog spot up, and whenever I want to write something that's too long for for low tides place, I just put it up there. Yeah. Well, I want to start, Darcy, with, with some of the stuff you wrote about Cam Talbot because I found it very valuable and interesting last summer, and a lot of what you wrote turned out to be <laughs> correct. And and to summarize, you believe Cam Talbot was going to be a very good goaltender. <laughs> yeah, basically. And and and, and he was. And I I'm just going to throw out some numbers here to begin with. He faced uh, almost 31 shots per 60 minutes played. I didn't do per game because a couple times he got pulled, a couple times he replaced Nielsen. Uh, he had a 9.17 save percentage for the year. He was 9.25 over his last 43 starts. Now, clearly there was the uh, poor play. I think it's fair to classify it as that around Halloween, um, but before and after. Uh, so Darcy, now seeing Talbot for a year, and Matt, of course, I'll get to you on this is yeah. the same with the same question. But starting with Darcy, are you? Because I think maybe when you look at the shots against and the final save percentage, I think, and I think most people think Talbot had a really good year. I think he might have even had a better year when, than than what we were classifying at it at as it as it was happening. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying because there's that stretch of games. There's basically six really, really bad games, Read, And you're right, it was right around uh, Halloween. It was October 27th to November 27th. He had six starts in there, and he was he was awful. Really cool thing, though, is, is once I did my Talbot, once I published my Talbot piece, uh, some of the guys at Low Tide, uh, their, their poster names are G-Money and Weed and Oil. G-Money set out to prove me wrong because he thought, no, no, there's no way you can come to a conclusion on a goalie when he only has 
a body of work that I think it was 58 games at the time. And he got into it, and he came out the other end saying, you know what, you're, I think you're actually right. And then he did a whole bunch of work on, on some goalies, and he said, uh, it was Wheaton Oil and, and G-Money, they said, you know what, he is going to start next year, and he's going to go through this dip because all the backups who are really good become starters. Then they go through, they go to the starters dip. They, they go through a stretch of games where they're god-awful and everyone thinks they're, they're a mess, and then they pick themselves back up and then become the goalie that they were. I have no idea why it happens. It could be stress, you know, maybe they're trying too hard. Who knows, but a lot of goalies go through it, and Dubnik was going through that exact same period of time when the Oilers dumped him. And look what happened to Dubnik after. He became the goalie that he was, which is about a 920 goalie. Mm-hmm. And and Talbot became the goalie like after that, that those bad games after November 27th. You take those games out, he was 923 for the year, which not quite top 10, but it's definitely top 15 in the NHL. So it was it was really gratifying to see that, and it was really cool that other guys had saw that, jumped on it, and then also predicted this dip that he had. So I, I agree. I think he had a really good year, um, better than it even looks like on paper. Now, there's lots we don't know about goaltending, though. Like, there's so much information we don't have. Uh, Steve Valiquette and Chris Boyle, they have some, uh, They do some proprietary stuff. I think they, they sell it to teams or whatnot. But they, they have something they call the Royal Road. And it's about puck movement across the Royal Road, which is basically you take the posts, go straight out for about 10 feet. If the puck, puck crosses through that area before the shot that shot has 10 times is 10 times more likely to go into the net right but we don't we can't we can't uh we we can't trace the puck or we can't follow the puck yet we don't have that technology rf chips uh crumble in the uh vulcanization process so we don't have that technology tracking yet although they can do with high speed cameras and i think they're going to get there soon but if we had that information I think we'd be able to predict this even better because you look at, at the New York Rangers' defense, they weren't that great, but one area where they weren't bad is keeping that puck from crossing. When I, I watched a whole bunch of games and I was trying to figure out Talbot, right. you look at the Oilers' defense, you know, it's AHL for the Pucks most part. all over the place. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, the fact that he came out the other end this year, like, what did he have, a 917? Yeah. 917 at the I, end, yeah. I, I think it was more spectacular. And you predicted 918? I predicted 918. So okay. of all we'll, things, we'll, we'll round it I can prove you. that I've got the post on low tide from August or something. <laughs> See, but yeah, it was. It was. It's. It, I just. I, I found it fascinating. Well, and here's to Matt to 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 factor this into the obvious need and the obvious goal for Shirelli to get better, better defensemen. I I think, and I don't, I don't want to sound overly optimistic because we've seen this team underachieve so often. Yeah. But if I'm reading into what Shirelli and McClellan said late in the season, at the end of the season. I think they feel that if the defense gets 10% better, the team gets 30% better because it cuts down on the shots against and you're better at getting through. The, they, the Oilers could not get the puck through the neutral zone. Well, I completely agree with that statement. They're, everything is connected to the defense, right? I mean, you want to spend a lot less time in your own zone, so you need somebody who's going to break up the cycle, uh, move the puck back up the ice to those high-end forwards. And if you don't have that, then it's it's just a complete nightmare and everything... Uh, everything sort of hits the fan if, if you don't have it. And we've seen that. We've seen that for years uh, if you sort of go through the list of who's played defense for the Oilers over the last, um, you know, six, seven years. It's just it's just a nightmare uh, list of people. And you think, oh, my God, I can't believe these people were in the NHL. Never mind, all played for the same terrible team. Uh, so... Yeah, you get that defense. It's it should affect everything, including the goaltending, because 
uh, he is, um, Talbot that is, is conceivably going to see a lot less pucks uh, thrown in his direction once you get that better. 4 nothing for the Blues, four minutes into the second period, by the way. Well, and here's the thing with the Oilers. Think of, think of allowing one shot less a period. Okay, you say that going into an individual game, who cares? Add that up over a whole, like, yeah. three times 82, so about 250 shots, roughly. Exactly. Less. And then and then think of Talbot's save percentage facing that many less shots, right? Yeah, and, and we were talking about how he finished a lot stronger. I mean, if you take a look at his his rolling average of his, of his save percentage, especially 5-on-5, five five, you can see that he gets much stronger uh, as the year goes on. And, and that's really important. I mean, and that's... Some of the things that Darcy talked about, about that, that starters dip, but also he's come to a new team. He's got new defense, a new system. So he's going to be learning where shots are coming from as the season goes on. Uh, and, and it's clear that as the season went on and he knew more and was more comfortable with what was happening around him, his save percentage just kept climbing. Well, I just, I just want to jump in there, Reed, about the defense that you guys were talking about earlier. I'd done a post at... Because Oilers.blogspot.com. Yeah. I did, I did a, actually might be in .ca. I did a post a month and a half ago, two months ago. And I looked at every single team in the NHL over the last three years. And I judged their defensemen. And I judged them by, you know, reputation, because you watch a lot of hockey. And also some, some, some certain metrics. And I decided if a defenseman was an actual top four NHL defenseman or, or not. And then I added them all up. And then I took their ice time. And then I took the total five-on-five five ice time among defensemen for that team and, and came up with a percentage. This team ices actual top four defensemen this percentage of the oh, time. Okay. And what I found, it was actually really cool how uh, similar every year was over the past three years. If an N- the NHL average was 52%, an NHL team will ice uh, uh, to actual top four NHL like defense. Like competent defense. Yeah. Fifty-two percent of the fifty-two percent of their their ice time, and the average, and and that was very very uh, similar from year to year. And what was also very similar, Reed, is that the average NHL playoff team iced uh, competent actual top four NHL defensemen sixty percent of the time, and it was the same every year. And you look at the Oilers. What do you think they were over those three years, Reed? Take a guess. Twenty-one percent. Yeah, nice nice one. Twenty-three <laughs> percent. It, it, it's it's like they're. Cra- it, how you can't? How are they playing hockey? You know, how can they play hockey if they can't get the puck back and get it going the other way? Yeah. They do have some pretty good young defensemen, and I, I think a lot of, of some of their forwards. But if, if the forwards never get the puck, or they never get with the puck with speed, or, or or no one can make a pass, it doesn't matter who your forwards are. It's actually quite amazing that Taylor Hall has achieved what he has achieved in the last three yeah. years. He's the top. He's the third best NHLer in five-on-five scoring. Third best. It goes Crosby, Ben, Hall. And he's done that basically in front of an AHL defense. It's unbelievable what he's done. If he's been in front of a, de- a defense like Crosby's had or Ben has had or, or line mates like those guys, he, he might he might be one or two. I, just quickly on something uh, Matt said before we break, and then we're going to get into some other stuff. Um, Matt, n- neither of the two Oilers' biggest off-season player acquisitions, Talbot and Sekra, neither one started the season well, right? Yeah, I agree. And that's I, probably I com- adjustment between the years a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right? I, I, I completely agree with that, yeah. All right, it's uh, 7.21. We're going to get into one of my favorite topics, as you all know, uh, Neil Yakupov. We'll talk about the fourth overall pick as well. Yak in City. studio with Matt Henderson and Darcy McLeod on Inside Sports. <laughs> You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. 
Yeah, so it's up four nothing. St. Louis leading Dallas in the second period. Game seven. <laughs> Reed Wilkins with you in studio with Matt Henderson and Darcy McLeod from the Oilers blogosphere. Guys, thanks again for coming in. They're sticking around until eight o'clock, so we got a lot to uh, to talk about here. All right, I want to I want to uh, start with Matt this time on Naily Akpov because you I think you know Matt. La- uh, Darcy's just done. He's just leaving. <laughs> he's just he's where's, out. He, where's he going? He's oh. Oh, he's grabbing a pen. Okay, I was like, he's, he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah, I no. felt sometimes I because I've been dragged into Yakupov conversations that I didn't even want to get into. I think you and I were on the same page last year that there was hope, and that that he appeared to be on the right track. And, and as the season went on for me, Matt, I was just like, it is, it is not happening. Um, I was sometimes frustrated that he didn't play more, but I also understood it. And and you you didn't you you nope. you've stayed pretty firm on yeah I do I do I I I am definitely a big supporter of of Nail Yakov Yak uh, probably because uh, nobody else seems to want to stay in his corner so now now <laughs> I have to now he's I'm I'm his patron saint I guess I I don't know um, but uh, I still love the kid well, what can I say um, I I do think that his his upper level is nowhere near all those other kids, like all the other first overalls or dry sidle even. I mean, I think they all have uh, much brighter uh, careers ahead of them in terms of production. Uh, but I'm going to stick with Yak, and I, I still believe there's a future for him as a productive player, as a top six player in the NHL. Just at this point, it's not going to be with the Oilers. That's for sure. Well, so you have you have un- unwillingly resigned yourself to that, I, have, I guess. I, yeah. have, I have resigned myself to the fact that he is going to be moved, uh, although I disagree with moving him, I think that uh, for $2.5 million, I think he can play with Connor McDavid and provide you a, a reasonable amount of offense, not the same as Jordan Eberle, but a reasonable amount of offense for significantly less money than a Jordan Eberle would. That's that's where I'm at on the him. Yeah, I actually agree with that last point. I'm not, I'm not, as, I'm not as up on Yak as you are. But uh, this year, it's, it's funny, when you look at the numbers, uh, Yak with McDavid and Everly with McDavid, the Oilers scored at exactly the same rate, and they are actually scored against on almost the identical rate. So to the Oilers, it didn't matter who was with them, Yak or, or Everly. Uh, when Everly was with them, Everly got more goals. So it looks like Everly did better. Oh, Everly's much better with McDavid. He got X amount of goals. Yak got two. But the Oilers didn't score more. It, the Oilers scored the, the same amount, so I agree that at 2.5, he's he's a good option. But I, I think he's done as an Oiler as well. You just hear too much smoke and everything that's going around, and 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 he's never, I, I don't know exactly what the problem is, but he he's never contributed very much to possession. Like I'm a I'm a big fancy stats guy, and possession yeah. I always think is very very important, and he's always been a drag on all of his teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, he scores better with some than he did with others, sure. but he's always been a possession drag. And I actually think a big part of that is the fact that. He's left-handed shot, and he likes to play right wing, which isn't uncommon in Europe. But that's a very wide ice, right? And and the, there's there's no four-check pressure there like there is in the North American game. And I, there's been more and more research on, especially defensemen playing on their handedness side, and it makes a it actually makes a huge difference. And and I, I think it makes a huge difference for for forwards as well, especially in two areas that's real that are really really important to possession. One is zone exits. You're on the forehand when you're near the blue line to get the puck out. So if you're on your forehand you can actually see all your passing options to your left or to your right, depending on which which handed you are. Or you can skate it out and you, you're on your forehand so you can you can beat the pressure that's coming down on you. When you're on your backhand, you're 
not very strong. Your back is to the open ice, and and so you can't make a good pass. So generally, you're like yak. He just smacks it off the boards to get it out, like he's panicking every time. Yep. And and that makes a, a big amount of difference. And same with keeping the puck in the ozone. If you're on your forehand, it's, it's a totally different ball game than when you're on the, when you're on your backhand. Now back in the day, and, and in the European leagues where the ice is wider and it's not as much pressure, and and the NHL even seven years ago didn't have nearly as much pressure as it does now. It didn't matter as much. It matters a ton now. And he is just not nearly as good on the right side as he is on the left. In fact, he played on the left side for a, a good chunk of the year last year. And I watched closely and. Uh, one of the pre- people in the blogosphere was tracking zone exits, and Yak's zone exits went up 10%. And just if you don't know what a zone exit is, it's when you get the puck and you're in the defensive zone, you make a, a proper either you skate the puck out or you pass it to somebody, yep. and you maintain and possession. And with a winger, it's often in that yeah. key area where the Oilers too often turned it over right inside oh, their own blue line. They're yeah, the worst absolutely. in the NHL out of it. It's terrible. But and, and Yak's a big part of that because he just could not get the puck out with. Uh, with possession, and, and it's funny playing with McDavid. He just smack it off the boards, but McDavid could skate into it right. because yeah. he, well, uh, he's McDavid. That's what gonna, he does. I was right? going to mention when he was playing with <laughs> McDavid because he's one of the few people that I think really understood early that he needed to get McDavid the puck as quickly as humanly possible in the neutral zone. Yeah, and you know what? I bet that's one of the reasons. I bet you're entirely right, and that's one of the reasons that Yak did play very well with McDavid because just get him the puck. We'll get a little bit into the uh, the fourth overall pick. I think we'll talk a little bit about offside reviews because there was another one tonight. We're in studio, Matt Henderson and Darcy McLeod, Inside Sports on 630 Channel. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. All right, the Raptors up 62-55 on the Miami Heat. Game uh, five of that series. Seven and a half minutes left in the third quarter. The Raptors had a huge lead early, so the Heat trying to chip away 4-0 in the second period. St. Louis leading Dallas in game seven. The Blue Jays lost 5-4 in 13. That was against the uh, San Francisco Giants. And uh, London still up 1-0 on Niagara. Game four of the Ontario Hockey League final. Six and a half minutes left in the third. A London victory gives them uh, the title. The Western Hockey League final resumes and could end tonight in Seattle. Game starts at eight. Brandon is up three zip in the series. Reed Wilkins with you on Inside Sports. Thanks for tuning in tonight in studio with uh, two guys from the Oilers blogosphere, Darcy McLeod and Matt Henderson. I just want to catch up on some texts here. Uh, this uh, Ted says, I'm a fan of uh, Hockey Buzz and Matt's writing. I check out the site at least once a day. My only beef is the long stretches between the articles. I don't like waiting so long. That's sorry. Great. I'm really sorry about that. It's It's been tough for me, actually. Personally, uh, I, I did change jobs, and I have a way less time to, <laughs> to write while I'm actually working. Uh, so uh, now I, I'm forced to actually write at home. And uh, being around my terrible family is just the worst. <laughs> so it just really cuts into my writing time. But I'm sorry, but I'm glad that you uh, read, and I'm uh, thankful for, for having somebody in my corner there. Uh, Bagged Milk, who is uh, from Oilers Nation, says, Dear Reed, I'm going to stand outside your house and sing Two Steps Behind by Def Leppard until you acknowledge our love. No, he'll do it. He'll do it. Well, uh, thankfully, he doesn't know where I live. But he, he does know the Two Steps Behind, one of my least favorite Def Leppard songs. Anyway, hey, we got a caller. Can we take a call, guys? Chris sure. from Chris from Phoenix, who is a uh, regular checking in tonight. Chris, you're on with Reed, Darcy, and Matt tonight. What's going on? 
Nothing. I thought I was on on with Dan Tenser for some reason. I uh, I wanted to talk to Dan for some reason. I feel like I completed it because <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll hold for Dan, and I was like, oh my god, what? I it's like flashbacks of like five years ago. Um, it was I was trying to I was trying to be funny. It probably didn't work, but uh, no, it's uh, okay. How can, not, how can how can you not like two steps behind with acoustic Def Leppard? You know, you can serenade just, your girl. It just you know, doesn't and, work. Just, anyway, it just didn't work. Um, as far as uh, our our hockey buzz guy there, he needs to get on the ball. He needs to get more uh, more of these uh, blogs coming out. You know, we there's 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 a lot of Oilers fans out here that uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> as far as uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just on one today. I've been on one ever since uh, you know you know my heart got broken yesterday with the the, the Hamannick news because oh, you killer. know I've been preaching him for like what like six months now. But anyway. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think of that fourth overall is gonna uh, is gonna get us. Is, is, are the odds uh, more fifty fifty that we draft or we use that as a trade? And is it gonna be one of those uh, that pick plus something for a defenseman? Or do you think that uh, fourth overall can get us a quality guy? Um, and uh, I, I think I'm in the minority. I called Bob. Uh, yesterday and, and I don't think that the Oilers should only go after two defensemen uh, he was he, he was mentioning something possibly like if we went after like a Vought and went after Demers as a longtime Oilers fan um, I'm sick and tired of, of going into the season with question marks and, and having us have to rely say on uh, this player uh, stepping up his game or that player stepping up his game I want to go into a season where most of our our boxes are checked off, and if we have to get an extra defenseman, and I know people are going to sit here and say, well, you know, the expansion draft in a couple years or next year, blah, 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 blah. You know what? I don't want to play for two years down the road. I, right. I'm getting sick, and I know I know well, every Oiler fan out there. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, well, I was. I don't think Shirelli wants to either play for two years down the road. I think he recognizes that they got to they got to the windows opening yeah. and they got to force it open a little wider. Chris, I'm going to put you on hold so you can listen. It's now five nothing St. Louis. They just scored oh. 454 left in in the second period. And, and Chris, thank you for the segue because we wanted to talk fourth overall pick. Now you guys heard the interviews. Yeah, clearly Shirelli's open for business. Oh, yeah. and what did he? So I mean, Brandon and I talked to him the night of the lottery, and then Bob talked to him I think Monday, and he was like, I've already had four or five people reach out. Yep. So he's probably going to trade it. Uh, so th- this factors in the whole question: is what would you guys do? What is what is he? Really, I mean, we know what he's leaning towards doing. What would you guys do? And what do you think he could possibly get for it? Well, <clears throat> well, I think Chris, the the caller Chris, was one hundred percent right in that the the Oilers have a long history of icing a team where every player is slotted above their actual NHL ability. Yeah. So you got second player, second pairing defenseman like Petrie. Who's a pr- pretty good second pairing defenseman might e- might even be a first pairing defenseman. He's playing first, and who and who is he playing with? He's playing with Marinson, who's a rookie. He's playing sure. with Smead, who doesn't belong uh, there. Are we going to start talking about Marinson too? Wait, oh wait, my goodness, yeah, Matt can <laughs> oh, yeah. do a, the rest of the <laughs> show on that. I'm just going to go home. Yeah, okay. but and then and then you look at the same among the forwards. The Oilers slot everyone in above their actual NHL ability. Well, sure. And okay. Chris is 100% right, right that Chirole has to stop that, and I think Chirole does want to stop it. As for what you do with, like, it's it's almost 
incalculable the amount of per permutations you could do with trading off the roster and trading the fourth and, and, and trading uh, some of your defensemen for other defensemen. It, it really depends on what's out there because the fourth is going to have a, a different value to different teams. There's teams that are really, really close to the cap, like Chicago, Pittsburgh. Those will value the fourth overall much differently than a team that isn't close to the cap and is full of young players. So that's going to have more value to, to high-end teams who are close to the cap and are winning now just because it's it, it's a place that you don't those teams don't get that kind of draft doesn't they're not able to draft that that high end of a player so it's going to have a lot more value there whereas other teams are going to uh, look at Anaheim what's Anaheim's biggest problem right now they've got almost no scoring on the left hand side so Anaheim it's probably in the market for a left winger. Oilers are actually fairly, I wouldn't say heavy. Or they got a right Hall. winger who plays with the left. No, no, no. Shot. They're, they're full on. of right wingers. They're full of right wingers. <laughs> I'm just a no, nail but you got Hall, you got Hall, you got Maroon, and you got and you got Pouliot, right? So they might be able to deal from from that. You look at Colorado. Well, let's not talk about Colorado. You look at Winnipeg. Winnipeg actually has a lot of right-handed defensemen, a little thin on the left. So the Oilers could, you know, trade a left-handed defenseman for a right-handed defenseman there. It really depends on who who they're dancing with because every team is going to have a number of different needs and every team is going to value that fourth differently. Okay, let me ask you this. Because, you know, Kachuk's a good player. Dubois, I, I don't know as much about, but, uh, you know, clearly i got to read what the scouts are saying and all that kind of stuff. Have have we become so used to drafting first in this city that we've forgotten how good a player at fourth overall can actually be? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think that's fair that uh, the fourth is going to be good. But at the same time, there's always a pretty big drop-off after the first two or three players. Um, I mean, sometimes sometimes you get to that second tier, and uh, you can't tell if it's, in this case, who's going to be better, the guy chosen four or the guy chosen eighth. I mean, there's going to be a cluster of players there where it's going to go either way, whereas in this year we're pretty sure uh, Matthews, Line, and Pugliarvi are going to be your one, two, and three. After that, I mean, it falls off. So year to year, I guess you got to look at at the draft cluster and and, and what's going to be happening with these players. But right now, I I have no confidence in saying who's going to be better, uh, Kachuk or Dubois or will uh, Yule Levy become the right. next great defenseman? I mean, who knows? Uh, I'm I'm not sure because they're in that. Weird, weird cluster. Well, and the interesting thing about the defense prospects for the draft, so nine months ago it's Chikrin, yeah. then it's Sergachev, now it's Uelevi, and yeah. some people still like Jake Bean. Or, like, it's, so, and no know, matter yeah, who but, you take, it's still going to be three years before they're right. NHL players, and maybe a few more after that before they're impact NHL players, if they're impact NHL player. Uh, sorry, Darcy, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that... Uh, you, Matt's right, and, and, and it is a bit of a crapshoot, but there's always been one metric uh, for the guys who are studying the draft, and, and I've read a lot of their stuff. Blue Bullet is really, really good. Just Google Blue Bullet, and there's a number of other guys who, who kind of get in depth on how to project draft choices. Is that named after the slide in West Edmonton Mall? <laughs> if not, it should be. <laughs> the, the single most um, telling stat on, on a 17-year-old kid, and you're, you're trying to tell you know look at a 17 year old and figure out how good he's going to be when he's 24 it's it's impossible right but the most telling stat is even strength scoring now the problem is is that we haven't got that information uh until recently from a, a lot of the uh a, a lot of like the whl the q right. and the ohl and, and you still don't have time on ice and you look at a guy like to chuck 
he, uh, I was listening to Bob interview, I think it was the head coach in Niagara, and to Chuck Marner and Dvorak, he said they're playing every second shift and they're two-minute long Is shifts. Is that today? No, it was a couple days ago. Oh, okay. Um, it, it might have two or three days ago. So you actually don't know how much these guys are scoring per minute of ice time. And that's super-duper important. It really is. Opportunity, who they're playing with, and how often, and here's the key, how often they're scoring at even strength. Even strength scoring is the single best, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I can't find the word, prognosticator. It's, it's, it, it'll, it'll project. Predictor of, of how you, effective predictor. you are. Thank you, predictor. I forgot my, forgot my dictionary. Uh, single best predictor of, uh, and, and it's not foolproof, and it's not like this will work every time. It's about probabilities. The probability, the guy who scores the most, even strength, both defensemen, and it's funny, defensemen in particular, it's actually very telling. And I just want to say one thing before I back off the mic again, is that uh, Chikrin, is it Chikrin? Jacob Chikrin, yeah. yeah. His 16-year-old year was unfreaking believable. It was almost as good as Dowdy's. And then what happened? He hurt his shoulder, mm-hmm. and then Darian <coughs> Hatcher <laughs> takes over as his coach. And, you know, and he tries to teach him how to play like Hatcher and basically tries to take the offense out of him. Uh, but he was also getting over the shoulder injury. If you look at if you look at Chikrin's splits first half of the year, second half of the year, almost totally different players. You look at, his, at what he did in the playoffs, again, he killed it in the playoffs. I still think Chikrin's a hell of a player. And a lot of it is because what he did as a 16-year-old defenseman in the OHL is extremely rare. And then this year, everyone's down on him. Probably, you know, everyone's, you know, scouts get kind of a malaise when they've been looking at a guy for a couple of years. He's been hurt, hurt his shoulder. But his, his even strength scoring is still very good. And as a 16-year-old, which is a fairly decent predictor, it was unbelievable. All right. That's Darcy McLeod. Matt Henderson is here as well. We're going to take a break. These guys are sticking around for a few more minutes. Uh, I think we'll talk a little, little, a couple of hockey stuff, but non-Oilers stuff when we get back. You're listening to 6:30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I, as much as I like this Motley Crue song, we, we got to do this one more time. Dean, Dean Vincent Production made this for us. It's brunch with the bloggers on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. I didn't really keep going with the brunch theme. I thought maybe I would reference it more. You guys aren't offended, are you? Croissant. <laughs> there it was. Dar- Dar- Darcy McLeod. He's on Twitter, uh, woodguy55. Matt Henderson is on Twitter as? Archaeologuy. Do you want to spell that? Or? A-R-C-H-A-E-O-L-O-G-U-Y. Uh, okay. <laughs> Raptors up 10 late in the third quarter, 70-60. Uh, what are we at here? Five, talk about a game seven. I'm suddenly hardly yeah. paying any attention to. Five. Oh, what a yeah. save by Elliot! Wow. Five nothing. Well, that was earlier in the period. It's after two now. Yeah. Five nothing. Uh, St. Louis cruising in that one. All right. Uh, let's read a. Uh, uh, where was it? Okay. Uh, hi, Reed. I figured a fair reviewable offside modification. If it's f- if five or seven seconds lapses before a goal is scored, the offside can't be reviewed. What do you think? Oh, I, I think if you're going to do that, you say if the defending team controls the puck, the zone entry can no longer be reviewed for offside. I also think you change the rule so that you are onside if your puck is if your skate is over top of the blue line, yeah. even even if the puck 
uh, is going in. Yeah. Uh, so you're allowed like the plane of the blue line. I would be 100% behind going towards the plane of the blue line. Uh, instead of having to have your your foot on it and not off the ice and then calling an offside because somebody's skate lifted by, you know, an eighth of an inch and you can tell on high def cameras that it's right. it's now technically offside, even though to the naked eye it was it was impossible to see. I, I have an idea I haven't read anywhere for this and I think they should review the offsides at regular speed. That's also a good idea. Yeah. Not slow it down. You know, this is it's it is a game of inches, but you know it's also a game of people, ref by people. I feel exactly the and, same and if way it's, for yeah. goaltender interference. If, if it's if it's not if it's not obvious at regular speed, then it, then it wasn't offside. You know, it hasn't been offside for a hundred years, so why make it offside today? Well, and that brings up one of my pet peeves about football. Uh, it, it's been more so in the NFL. I think I don't think the CFL has been quite as 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 finicky about it. But, uh, I mean, the NFL especially, it, it happened more often a few years ago where they'd review a catch, and then they'd say, oh, the ball was moving as he went to the ground. Well, the ball's always moving. The guy's sprinting downfield. He's getting pushed as he catches the ball. It's never yeah. jammed tight against a, a guy's body. And then they allowed that catch in the playoff game where a guy does a somersault and doesn't control the ball till he's five yards out of bounds, and it counts because he was starting to control the ball while he was in. Like, they can't make up their mind. The NFL catch rule is the exact example that you should bring up when you're trying to stop this madness that they're doing with, yeah. with, with the instant replays. What is actually a catch in the NFL is just, it's indescribable. You know, it is. It's the fun of the game. It, it's Waddell, like we're talking about the Eskimos there at break. It's Waddell Smith diving across the, the line and stretching out his fingers and holding it up just above the grass. That's a catch, baby. It didn't hit the grass. You know, end of story. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you 100% on this. The, the whole um, idea of adding slow motion to, to make these calls quote-unquote correct is is bizarre. Okay, so should they get should they get rid of the reviewability on offside? I I would. I don't think they're going to admit they're wrong though. I I don't mind it because and 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 really it's Matt Duchesne's fault because of that right. really blatant offside last year. <laughs> I don't mind it, but I think that the team calling for the review should be penalized if it's not. If it's not an offside, you get a penalty, delay a game. Yeah. And also, it should be reviewed at normal speed and just, is it a blatant offside? Yeah. Because it, it's, it's, it's like the ones you lose, or you're going to get them back. It, it's, it's the 50-50. It's even Steven. Eventually, it'll come back. It's, it, you know, they miss some. That's just the way it is. If they miss the blatant ones that really, really matter, yeah, let's catch those. But it's not, it's not, you, you're not measuring centimeters. And if the guy's skate is actually off the ice, that's ridiculous. And that has nothing to do with sport. And it was Hartley last year that sort of figured out early on that he can use this just as the extra timeout, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's why you should give the penalty yeah, because they're using it as a fake timeout. Yeah, I wish Hartley was still coaching in Calgary though, because then they'd, then they'd stay right then they'd stay <laughs> awful. Well, I'm sure he's not doing <laughs> anything, so I mean, well, I can't wait. Uh, Someone's got a number around here, right? Well, and I, I've said if you're scored on in overtime, just challenge it. Yeah. Like, well, well, yeah, you got. I don't care yeah, how. That, and that's yeah. fine. You know, in, in those situations, yeah, you don't get it right, but 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 be realistic. You're still playing a sport. You know, it, it, no one's gonna die, and, and if you miss some, you get some. As long as it's close. As long as it's fun. It's so fun. Would, okay. We're supposed to have fun, damn so it. Darcy, would you use slow motion, though, on goals, on Ooh. goal reviews? What kind of, like, to see if the puck cross line? Yes. Sure. Okay. That, sure. But not on offsides and then not on goalie interference. No, definitely not on goaltender interference. If your goaltender, if you can only tell that someone touched the goaltender by going in super slow motion and stopping frame by frame, then guess what? 
It, it didn't interfere with the goaltender, period. Well, slow motion is, it, it, like, you're right. It, 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 and like I said about the, the NFL catch rule, at slow motion, you can almost make yeah. the counter argument on any play. On slow yeah. motion, right. you can find a kicking motion in, in almost every goal that, you know, was previously called off for that kicking motion stuff. Because yeah. it, just any movement of your leg in slow motion looks like an exaggerated kick. That's every single time. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, and there was an NBA game. I was watching a review. Uh, like they, they, they're reviewing who touched the ball last and, and a, a toe on the three-point line. And there's a point where I know, I know they want to get it right, and it's the official's job to be fair, and it's another tool for them. But it's the point where I'm like, who's getting screwed if that the fan, just The fan. They're taking the fun out of the game because they take the flow out of the game. We're getting screwed as fans because they're trying to get it too right. You know, it's sport. Like, come on. It, it, it's just an offside. And if it really, really, really matters, yeah, and it's blatant, sure, absolutely. You know, and if it's a goal, well, goals are great big deals. So, yeah, slow that one down. See if you cross the line. You know, maybe kick Quick's uh, glove out of the way or something. Idiot. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, just just let's 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 bring the fun back. Let's bring the flow back. There's nothing worse. You know, I was I was at the there's one game at the Oilers this year. Like three reviews on offsides, and they take forever. It's like okay, we were having fun watching this hockey game. Guys, we're skating. Now it's awful. Now I want to leave. Well, and 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 another thing I would say is, and then the Oil Kings had one of those reviews in one of their final series against Portland, where a goal was reviewed by about four minutes, and then the call went against the Oil Kings. And I interviewed Laxtall. And he said, "Well, it's like you're not. It's like you're going to keep reviewing it until you find something wrong yeah. with it. Yeah. To, to not to not uh, to not count the goal. Uh, London, by the way, won the OHL, beating the Ice Dogs one uh, nothing to sweep the series uh, four straight. I mean, that's the thing. Why to have reviews have to take four minutes? If you watch it a few times and you can't tell, call in the ice stands. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think it was Taylor Hall brought it up, right? The uh, especially for the I think it was the offside one or." Uh, but it was it was it wasn't going to the war room. So uh, whenever there was a yeah, call made on the ice, the Wi-Fi yeah. comment. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a bit with the Wi-Fi comment. But at the same time, you're asking an official to admit that he made a mistake, right? Instead of taking it out of his hands, putting it in the war room. So their whole process for what gets reviewed and by whom doesn't make a lot of sense in the yeah. NHL. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you think the league is trying to to gain more casual fans, right? So I'm trying to. I, I want my wife to watch a bit of hockey with me once in a while, right? Because then I get to watch more hockey. Unfortunately, you're an Oilers fan. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I don't, haven't really been watching hockey anyway. But she'd come down and she'd, she'd watch hockey with me. And she would, almost every time there would be a review. And she's like, how come they keep getting on that big phone? And, and this right this last year, a couple years ago, and, and how come, and how come they're using a phone? Yeah, so that's who are they what talking to? She wants to, to watch. She yeah, wants she's to like, watch the game. What's going yeah. on? She she goes, you know, I'm not going to watch a game with you because every time I watch, they get on that big damn phone, and the game stops. And I, she's right. And just, let's turn off casual fans by stopping the and game just and on making principle it alone. I mean, all these reviews, what are they doing? They're just there to prevent goals from being scored. Yeah, exactly. So. What, it's not helping you score more goals. It's helping you keep goals off the scoreboard. All right. And that's not fun. Quickly, because we got to wrap. One word answers. I'm going to ask you two questions each about our, our, our the two teams in this city. Uh, win improvement for the Oilers. What number, Darcy? 12. Wow. I'm going to say 7 again. Matt? Oh, let's split the difference. I'm going to go 9. All right. Uh, Eskimos. 
wins, regular season wins this season. Matt? What'd they have last season? 14. 12. Darcy? 13. I'm going 12. See, I took 12 on the, on the other one. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Fun. Matt Henderson and Darcy McLeod. Follow them on uh, Twitter. If you're not already, check my Twitter handle to get theirs. Uh, Gord Thibodeau from Lloydminster when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.